The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, it is a glorious thing to sing of these truths that we just touched on. That there is a feast coming and there is a drying up of tears. Glorious. And Father, it is also a reality that to sing of such great things at the same time, at least in me, and I think in some of us, produces while singing of weeping no more, it produces a weeping. While singing of a feasting, it produces an emptiness. Because the dominant tense in that song is the future. And that's not the present. And while we sing of what will be, we also are made perhaps even more acutely aware of what isn't yet. And in this tension we sit and we live and, and we currently move and have our being. Lord, this is, a, this is a world that is still fallen and is not a world of shalom, is not a world of feasting, and is not a world of no weeping. And so, Father, this morning, would you draw near to us by your Spirit and help us deal with this tension and to grow, perhaps, in our ability to, while weeping, even rejoice. Help us deal with living in the present and living in the future, also in the present. This is part and parcel of the Christian life. We are a, a people with a foot in two worlds. Would you help us, Lord, this morning to do justice to both of those worlds, to face them both and to, to, to see them both, and to have the right one dominate. We are sorrowing, but we are ever rejoicing. If by your Spirit you give us the ability to have the right world dominate, to see the coming day in which we will not weep, but we will feast, where there will be no more hungering. God, give us strength. Give us, give us eyes to see. Help us to deal properly with, with this world and with longing and with, with hope deferred, but help us to have hope. Open your scriptures here this morning. Direct my words as I, as I unpack what's here. Make what's said clear and true. Reveal your word to us and shape us with it. Spirit of God, would you move through the room here and in the hallway and have your way with your people. Draw our attention in here and help us to see you and to sit before you and, and to weigh what's true and to be grown by it. Build your people, Lord. Build your church. Honor your name. for this that we pray in Christ's name, that you would honor his name, and that you would build us, your people. Bless us and glorify him. That's our prayer this morning. Address your word to us. Change us with it. Build your kingdom. Thank you, Lord. We love you and we trust you. Amen. turn our attention this morning to Luke chapter 6 and the great extended teaching of Jesus there known as the Sermon on the Mount. We began Luke's treatment of this teaching last week and our focus as we noted there is and will be on what Luke says, not on what Matthew says. Matthew deals with the Sermon on the Mount of course also, but as with all the Gospels we deal with what was given to us in that Gospel, not some composite of these various stories all put together. We're going to deal with Luke's treatment 
And at times that will take us to a bit of a different emphasis than on how Matthew kind of lands on something. But we, we deal with Luke this morning, and last week we began by looking at the context. Jesus went up onto a mountain to pray and then to select his 12 disciples, the apostles, pulled them out of the, the larger group of his disciples. They were there with him. And then he came down the mountain with that 12 back to a more level place where there was a much larger group of disciples and a vast multitude of people from everywhere, non-followers of his, who had come, as the text said, to hear him and also to be healed of disease and cured of demonic oppression. And we read there at the very end, verse 19, that power came out from Jesus and indiscriminately on all of them, disciple and non-disciple alike, healed fixed, cured, helped, blessed, everybody, indiscriminately. And then verse 20, we saw his focus narrowed. He lifted up his eyes on his disciples. There's a large group of people, and he focuses on his disciples and begins to teach them. So everybody's still there, of course. There's still this massive crowd of people, and so there are non-disciples, non-followers hearing, and of course there's much here that would apply to People who are not followers of Jesus, it would explain even some of how to become a follower of Jesus, what life in the kingdom is like. So there's much for the outside audience, but in particular, his main target audience is what we would call today the church, Christians, professing believers. That's who he's talking to. And in verse 20, he speaks to us his first beatitude, this statement of blessing. That word beatitude comes from the word blessed first beatitude there a very common form of speech in that day in all cultures common in the old testament we can see it a bunch of places there and essentially blessed happy delighted good feeling are you because something good's happened to you so you know you parents blessed are you parent because you just say had a baby something good something good fortune has come and now you feel good about that blessed are you that's the basic structure, makes perfect sense, but it's perhaps a bit more challenging and therefore a bit more instructive when Jesus pronounces these Beatitudes. Like he said last week, verse 20, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. The good thing, the fortunate thing, something that already is, yours is the kingdom of God already, for whom? You who are poor. Which is a bit odd. So as we unpack that, we saw he's talking about lowly, empty, destitute, primarily in attitude, not primarily without resources. It's being without resources creates an attitude that's the main focus. An attitude of, of poverty, of destitution, of emptiness, particularly broken over sin and knowing like the poor man does, that I have no recourse to fix my problem. Blessed is that one. Which sounds a little odd. Those things, you know, poverty, lowliness, contrition, happy. How do those words go together? Well, it's because that heart, if God has given that heart of a lowly, contrite, I am in great need and I have no recourse in myself to fix this, that's the kind of heart that looks to Christ, who is the one who does provide what's needed, who does provide forgiveness, who does at the cross provide a way to deal with the problem of sin. Blesses that one because that one receives Christ and therefore the kingdom. That's the Beatitude last week, which prepares us for verse 21, two Beatitudes in verse 21 that flow out of the idea of poverty, that literal idea of poor connecting to hungry and weeping. So we're going to look at verse 21, two Beatitudes this morning, but I'm going to read 20 to 23 to give us a little bit larger picture around them. I'm going to read those few verses and then make two observations from just verse 21. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. 
Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Luke chapter 6. I'm going to make two observations. Here's the first one. A disciple's life in this world is always colored by dissatisfaction. A disciple's life in this world is always colored by dissatisfaction. And I don't mean to be saying that there isn't anything good here, that there's, there's nothing positive in the world, there's, there's nothing to enjoy. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying colored by dissatisfaction. There's a constant, uh, for a disciple here. Progressing very naturally out of, out of poor in verse 20, we come to 21 and we see hungry and weeping, and those are paired with a couple things, hungry and satisfied, weeping and laughing. And we can best gain clarity in what these words mean by kind of approaching them from the back end, I think. So we're going to start in reverse. Blessed are you, he says, for what reason? For you shall be satisfied. For you shall laugh. That's the back end of these pairings. Shall, future. Contrasting future, you shall be, what will be in the case in the future, with now, the word that appears in both those statements. You are one way now, and you will be different. This is a very different structure than the first beatitude. You recall last week we saw he's talking about something already. For yours is the kingdom of God, and now he switches to talk about the future. Something that's not yet the case. Yours is the kingdom, but one day, one future day, not now, but one future day, something else will be. We always live right now in the now. But Jesus is helping us think about something else. We'll, we'll talk more about the something else later, but it's important to see there's a positive, there's a good. There's satisfied and there's laughing held out in the future for us right now who are hungry and weep. Hungry and weeping, characterized by hungry and weeping. What does that mean? Well, literally, if we track again through the poor, hungry, weeping, literally this makes perfect sense. We see Oftentimes you think of a poor person who often is hungry, literally, and the language of poverty is, I do not have enough. Particularly back in the day when, the, when there's no societal structure around a person to kind of help meet needs, if you don't have, you don't have. So the language of poverty is the language of hunger. I don't have enough. I'm not full. This is not sufficient. I'm not satisfied. I'm looking for more. I need more. That's the language of, of poverty, the language of hungry. And of course, hunger is a great, a great driving force in us, and it causes us to pursue because we know we have a need, and every day that we lack that, sorrow grows. A, a worry and, and, and a lowliness increases as we sense, as we experience our emptiness, that's quite clear in a literal sense. That's the unsettled picture that Jesus, when he uses these words, Jesus is painting a picture for us that's very unsettling, that's very tenuous, that has this language of lack and need and wanting and sorrow over not getting. And that's how he describes his disciples. Us. We are like that. Now, even recognizing that in the previous verse, he also said, and we are also those who now already have the kingdom. Yours is the kingdom of God now. 
So he's describing, he's talking to Christians, and he's connecting the kingdom of God. You are our citizens. Remember last week, you are citizens in the kingdom of God. This, this shiny statue that I put right here, remember last week? This is yours. Now you have this, and you don't have enough. You lack, you need, you are hungering and weeping, both together. Ironically, he's connecting glory and sorrow for us now. The normal Christian life is the language of hungering and weeping. Again, not saying there's nothing good in the normal Christian life, but it's all this life now for the disciple is all colored by I lack. I'm not satisfied. I don't have enough. I'm not full. This isn't right. In what sense? In what sense do I lack and I'm not full and this isn't right? What, what, what does that mean? Well, in some ways, carefully here, in some ways we are, we are very similar. Those, those words that come out of our mouths are very similar to what would non-followers of Jesus, the world, the Bible's language that is the world, but the world out there, it could say the same thing and we would have much connection with them. Because in a very real way, there is a way that Christian and non-Christian alike can say, we are dissatisfied with this fallen and hurting world. It isn't enough for us. It's not right. We need, we could say, we need materially and we need physically and, and emotionally and relationally. That's, that's all true. That's real. A way that we can connect with everybody else in, in, on, a, on the planet, in fact. It is that, it's just not only that. Jesus means to push us on beyond just that, but, but there is a way in which this is, it's kind of the first step in, this is the, perhaps the place that we first encounter our hungering and our weeping. We lack, sometimes we lack the literal resources to make life work. We lack jobs, we lack money, we lack clothing, we lack shelter. You can read the Voice of the Martyrs magazine out there and you can see the stories of Christians running for their lives in the desert in the Middle East who lack everything. Part of the reason I put that out there on the tables for us to see that this week on a communion Sunday to think we are in communion with those folks. And there are ways that you can help in that magazine. Sometimes that is literally our, our needing, our lacking is at the same level Christian fleeing and Muslim fleeing. Sometimes it's just like that. But we could then expand it beyond material things to think we, we all alike, we lack and we fear and we hunger for correction and solution to all kinds of things related to health and, and injury. And, and we are aware the physical danger just stalks us. And we don't have to read the, the paper, listen to the news, and, and think about, do I want to go to college tomorrow? Do I want to go to school tomorrow? What will happen? That's, that's this world. We, like non-Christians, hunger for a solution to that. Fear that. Weep over it. Relationally, and this is perhaps most acutely where, where we sense a dissatisfaction in this world, we relationally, like all people, we long to be known and to know, to connect with people, to be understood and cared for. That is human. We are relational creatures. We want to be, we should be, we know we, we, we live on being loved and dealt with kindly and compassionately. And we long to see our children cared for and, and brought together. We long to see our parents loving and staying together. And we long to see everybody that we know and everybody that we care about grow old safely, grow old with a meaningful life. This is common to man and perhaps a little bit harder for us even as Christians because there's a world that's set against us. But we, we can identify and relate to. Those are real hungerings and real longings in this world. However, 
If we stop there, and that's all we think about and all we put under this category of dissatisfied with this world, if we put only that there, we haven't quite got the point. Because everybody, everybody on earth senses that dissatisfaction, is, is hungering for solution to those kinds of issues, weeps when they don't have them. That, that's everybody on earth. And Jesus has said in here, these people who hunger for these things are blessed because they will be satisfied. These people who weep over these things are blessed because they will laugh. They will weep no more. And that's not everybody. There isn't at the end, at that great day, universal satisfaction and universal joy. The Bible's quite clear. Satisfaction and joy only comes to some. So Jesus does not mean for us to be thinking about everything that's common to man because the end is not common to man. He's got something unique, something a little different in mind, something uniquely God-given, uniquely Christian in view here. We, Christian, disciple, live lives here colored with dissatisfaction for more. We know more. Everything that I just listed off, everything that I was kind of tracing, pulling us through, we, disciple, you know more about where that comes from. And you also know why that's not going away ever. That this world as it is, is going to remain as it is as long as now is now. It's not changing. And so what you long for, what, what, you, what you hunger for, and what you weep over the lack of is something more, more foundational, more root than just what looks like in the end symptom. As, as dramatic and as problematic and as sorrowful and as real as... as as tangible as those symptoms are, they are just symptoms, and you know there is something beneath that. That Christian, God has placed in you a weeping, a brokenness over, oh, if this would come, I want this to be so that all these things would, would be solved, would pass away. At the bottom level down here, what you know, Christian, and what you hunger over, and what you weep over, because it can't ever come, is tied to broken over sin. Poor in spirit. You know the problems that we face up here are because this world is broken in sin and is fallen. Because I am broken in sin and am fallen. Because we are broken in sin and are fallen. Even though as a believer, there's no condemnation on you, Christian. Let me be really clear about that. There is no condemnation on you, Christian. You are in Christ. And yet, you, we, I, we are sinners and wreckage still follows. And we hunger, we deeply desire, we long for, we sang it this morning, that I would not sin anymore. A Christian desires that I would resist temptation and that there would be an ending of all tempting in the world. A Christian hungers for a world free from the curse of the fall. A world in which we don't suffer from sin and we don't afflict with our own sin. In which there is no more sin. Or to put positively, a world in which righteousness reigns. Covers all of human experience. Righteousness. 
We know that when we're looking at the, the common problems of earth that are real, that we know that we can't just address symptom and symptom and symptom and symptom because the root will still remain, the weed will grow back, cut it off as often as we can. This, it must, something beneath the surface must be dealt with. Something that's broken in me and in all of us must be dealt with. God, oh, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our constant prayer because that's our constant need. We need more than we hunger for, more than we long for, more than we weep over the lack of symptom, 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 symptom. What we need is God to address what's wrong in here, in me, and in all of us, and in all of the creation. In this world now. We need His kingdom to come in me and in every family and in every church and in every country on the earth. And that's not happening. It won't happen now. It will, but it isn't. And so we live... Every day we walk through this life. I'm going to talk about what's coming. But we walk through this life right now with one foot firmly in this world, recognizing, even while there are good things to enjoy, recognizing that this world right here, right now, as long as it is now, is busted. And it's not getting put back together. Now, that may be incredibly demoralizing and depressing and fatalistic. It may sound like that. Because fall and sin and shortage and suffering is all around us and is intractable. We really, 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 really want it to be different. I'm no prophet, but I don't think abortion's going away. I don't think spousal abuse is going away. I don't think school violence is going away. I don't think persecution of Christians is going away. I don't think war is going away. I don't think hunger, literal hunger and poverty and economic injustice and racism and prejudice and bias is going away. Now. And if that's all there was, let alone all the smaller pains of people, one friend insulting another at school, you know, those are real little things, too. Those are real things. I don't want to say all the stuff that's in the newspapers. The only thing that's important. You know, the real things of life are sometimes small. And if that's all there was, large catastrophes and constant, smaller pokes, if I only was here to say you disciples are those who hunger and weep now, never satisfied in life. That would be demoralizing. That would be a, a great big dose of emptiness that would leave us without hope in this world. like most of the world really is, without hope in this world. But the text says, blessed 
are you who hunger. Blessed, fortunate are you who weep. You who bear these marks now. You who are dissatisfied. You who cry out, I don't have enough, not just of the symptoms, but of the root. I don't have enough, and I can't see it coming, and there isn't any change. Oh, Lord, when will the core be changed? When will the root be pulled out? Blessed are you who are dissatisfied with life in this world because there is more to come for you when he comes for you. And that's what leads us to the second point. So, there's the, a foot in two worlds. There's the foot in this world and a realization that this world isn't it. The second observation then, disciples have every reason to be dissatisfied in hope. Not dissatisfied with hope, but dissatisfied, comma, in hope. Hopefully dissatisfied. Disciples have every reason to be dissatisfied in hope. To sorrow while rejoicing. Why are they blessed? Why, why are such ones who are hungry and who are weeping blessed? Because we are aware of current lack and we are also aware of what the future holds for us. You shall be satisfied. You shall laugh. One day. you got to see. I can say this, and I know most of us are Christians. We sang about it, read your Bibles. We heard even the elder prayer this morning touched on part of Revelation where you can kind of think about it. Yeah, 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 you got to see. you got to see. One day, we who hunger, and only we who hunger now, in this way that I was talking about, we will be satisfied. And the great reversal, those who are satisfied now will hunger forever. And one day, we who weep now, who weep over this, over this core issue, this core lack that's in this world and is in me and is in our community, one day, those such ones, we such ones, we will laugh forever. And those who laugh now and are content with what is and are happy the way things are going will mourn forever in weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is a great reversal of fortunes coming. Not now, but one day. And we will finally be satisfied, finally able to say, Christian, you will say full-throated forever, I am full, I am satisfied. This is enough. And you will know no meaning of the word lack, empty, hopeless. That will mean nothing to you because all you will see is fullness and abundance and completion. Wholeness. And you will be giddy with joy, not laughing over good jokes, but laughing because there is no more sorrow. Every tear has been wiped away off of you. He has come and wiped them all away from us. At the end of every sorrow and every lack and every brokenness of this world in sin, at the end of that, at the end of that is remaining only all that is right. Mm, mm, mm. Holiness and purity and Christ-likeness. A city, as it were, made of clear crystal because the glory of the Lord shines all through it, reflects and refracts and glorifies the whole place. It is beautiful. It is light. It is illumining. It is satisfaction of the heart. It is the presence of God with you, Christian, forever. 
spotless bride, the delight of the Son, He takes you to Himself and smiling and beaming with joy, you enter into the pleasure of your God and there you live enjoying everything always, forever and ever. And you no longer will pray, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth because it is done on earth. He has come can you see that day? It is coming. That's what we long for, and we are dissatisfied as we miss. That day is coming. And Jesus tells us that here, the beginning of this sermon. He gathers around His disciples, and He tells us that to instruct us and to correct us and to encourage us. It is instructive in that it teaches us how to interpret life. We are not surprised when foot in this world we find it to be full of tears. Yes, it is. Because it's broken and it can't ever be made right. It will never be. We aren't, we aren't surprised by that. We expect it. We are taught also what to pursue. Christian. Perhaps we could have done this earlier. Perhaps we could do it now. But Christian, maybe you need to, to take an aside and kind of evaluate yourself. Kind of run through your own mental mental thought process and maybe look at your actions and say what do my thinking patterns and my actions and my words say that I most hunger for most weep over when I lack and am most satisfied when I get there's something corrective here Jesus tells us that satisfaction and the laughing joy comes in the future. The world knows nothing of that. The world wants it now. What does the world do? And perhaps, unfortunately, what do many Christians do? What does the world do when faced with hungering and sorrow? Well, it avoids it. It doesn't talk about it. Or talks about it by saying, he, she, we were staying strong in it. Which is euphemism for pretending it doesn't affect you, stuffing it down inside. Or the world summons up American can do optimism and seeks to educate and force legislate, re-educate, campaign, protest, research, and develop our way out of problem X and into bright new future Y. It doesn't work. Jesus alerts us to the fact that it's not going to work. Now, is characterized always, colored by, not, not completely, not 100%, but now is always going to be colored by a, a broken, a hungry, a, a weeping because we can't ever fix it. Human history has been full of generation after generation after generation thinks we're getting better. That we're just one development away from, one legislative victory away from, one election where we can get the proper politics into the proper offices and then we're always one one step from it never never changes but christian ask yourself have you hooked your joy wagon to that program 
Jesus tells us here to, to inform us, this is what the world is like, and to perhaps correct, not just instruct, but to perhaps correct us from what we are attempting to, to live for, what we are attempting to sink our efforts into, seeing that righteousness, sin, and lack thereof is the problem. We should hunger and thirst for and pursue righteousness in me and in us. And to long for the day when the righteous king comes to reign, recognizing that that's what we need. We need him reigning in here and him reigning here. And short of that, there is no hope. So, so should we involve ourselves with endeavors in the world to fix things? Yeah, sure, of course. Always being careful to point out this is that best temporary, this is the best band-aid. The real solution we point out to others and be sure that we fix our own minds on the real solution is Christ the King reigning in here and Christ the King reigning out here. That's the only hope. He wants to instruct and perhaps correct our emphases, to correct our focus. I, I, I see this in myself, and I see this in a number of Christians, so I ask you, evaluate yourself. I talk to Christians who say things like, yeah, 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 I know that, put in the spiritual truth, but really, and all the emotion, all the action says, you don't know that, you're actually committed to hope from this world. Just ask yourself, Christian, is your weight on the wrong foot? It must be dominated. We must be dominated by the perspective of this world is fallen and broken and Christ and his righteousness is what I must long for and what I must seek after most stridently, that in which I must hope. And on the word hope, we find the last reason, encouragement. He tells us this to encourage us. For a bunch of us, we don't need to be instructed that this world is going to be full of tears. That's crystal clear. But he says, you who are hungry now, you who weep now, take heart. Take heart because now is not forever. There is a day coming. Because Christ himself was willing to set aside personal fullness and satisfaction because Christ himself was willing to be dissatisfied and willing to empty himself of every good and of every right and of every honor and glory and become a man in this world to stand on, on this ground, on this earth and submit himself to these people and face death, even death on a cross. He has secured for us, the second half of both of these Beatitudes, a future that is full of glory. Christ has made a promise to you, Christian. promise. I have left you and I have gone away to prepare a place for you. I wouldn't have said it if it wasn't true. I will come back and I will get you and I will take you to be where I am going. He proved it then not only by the track record of his life up to that point, but then he proved it by shortly thereafter coming out of the grave. He is the risen and now reigning and returning Christ who will come for you, Christian, to get you and to take you. He is the righteous one that we need he has purchased you. He will lay claim to you. He will make the world all new. He will secure you with him in it. This is a great blessing. 
This is the view, the the foot, if you will, that lands in this world. It is the view that must dominate our present existence in this one. It is great hope for the future. And as we live in this world as it is, it is great hope in this world right now. In the midst of this, we know He is still in heaven at work and is still coming from heaven to retrieve me. Christian, you of all people, Christian, not because we live in America, we are not fleeing through the desert. We live in Salt Lake City in Utah, many of us here along the East Bench. That's not why, none of those things are why you are a blessed person. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. You hungering and weeping person. For, because, you will, in the future, be satisfied. You will, in the future, laugh. No amount of light and momentary affliction can take that from you. Not famine, not nakedness, not sword. Nothing can separate you from this loving Savior who has promised to bring it to you. So you who right now, and I know some of you do right now, sit in a place that is dark and hard. I've had conversations with some of you this week about that, and I know other situations. Some of us are, are very hard-pressed right now. Do you see yourself? I am a hard-pressed, hungering, and lacking one. Or do you see yourself as I am a blessed one because I am an heir of promised satisfaction? Both of those things are true, but one must dominate. One has to sit over top of the other and to see, even while I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Because his right hand has grabbed a hold of me and not only just keeps me from teetering and and falling in, but it lifts me up. How do you see yourself? What are you chasing after? Are you trying to fix this world, the symptom, or you're pursuing Christ and his righteousness saying, Lord, reign in me, and Lord, I long for your appearing. Would you come for me? A Godward heart and Godward eyes is the only thing that will produce joy in the midst of this darkness. A worldly eye and a worldly heart will just produce more heartache because this isn't getting fixed. You are, in fact, hungering and weeping. We all, every Christian is because you know the problem. But... The beatitude is a beatitude because it says to you, blessed are you. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Let me pray. Father, will you press into your people hope Particularly, Lord, would you press into your people who currently right now feel most hopeless. Press into them hope. Make very clear, oh please, Father, make very clear, Spirit of God, work in our our weak and troubled human hearts. Would you please work in us to make very clear that our hope is not in anything changing here on earth. 
Every change is at best temporary and partial. Nothing lasts. To produce in us a firm conviction and a hope. A hope in You to bring the next world. A hope in You to even now fan into flame in our hearts a joy, even while we sorrow, a joy that sees the whole picture, that sees all of our existence. God, please do that in the hearts of Your people and in particular in the hearts of those who sit in least hope right now. You're kind and merciful. You are a good Savior to us, Your people. Grow us now, please, I pray. As we meet with you now over the, the communion table, would you remind us of what we, what we see in this cup and in this bread? We see you, a faithful God, made covenant with us. Help us, Lord, to see it, to rest in it, to believe. Thank you. We trust ourselves to you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.